Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 65 for June the 23rd, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest this week is Mr. Paul Ducklin, the head of technology strategy for Sophos Asia Pacific. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Chester. Greetings from midwinter. Midwinter, yes. Uh, we just had the solstice last week, which I guess is monumental for both of us. Uh, considering the weather this year here in Canada, it decided that it's still winter time. The solstice, of course, is when Mozilla promised to release Firefox 5, and they hit their deadline and don't go looking for version 4.0.2, only including security updates. If you want to update for security, you also have to take all the new features. I'm not sure whether I'm happy about that, but I have updated myself, and so far, so good. Well, let's move on to the week's news. Um, to begin with, I have here the FBI have arrested several people, and I guess uh, the Ukrainians, the British, there were lots of different countries involved, cracked down on some scareware guys, and reportedly they, they potentially had $72 million or more were the proceeds from the you know fake antivirus, rogue security software, whatever you wish to call it. You know, are there only a few gangs behind this? Is this something that is going to have a major impact on scareware distribution, or is this just one small battle in the larger war? It, it is in some ways a small victory, if $72 million can be seen to be small. At least it proves that despite these jurisdictional challenges, the cops can get their man from time to time. Also, the, the figures are all very believable, aren't they? They're the According to the FBI, it's just shy of a million people were actually tricked into buying. These guys have strong affiliate networks to help them with the, the sales pyramid. And we know that the price point for these scareware programs is generally about 50 to $130. That's what the market bears. It makes it believable. And so, you know, if you think the average sale price, if you can call it that, is 75 bucks, around about a million people, there you go. Yeah, it's, re it's really unfortunate. And I think that the the fact that one gang has gotten away with $72 million as a result of this makes me question why I've been asked to do, you know, 30 press interviews about LulzSec in the last week and a half, and that nobody is talking about close to $100 million being taken from millions of innocent victims. Chester, one of the real problems with fake antivirus is that a significant proportion of the victims actually believe that they have got value for money. They had a threat, it was found promptly, they paid their fifty nine ninety five. They ran the cleanup, it fixed the problem, and the problem didn't recur for another six months. And then they went back and paid another 59 bucks, and they got that cleaned up as well. And you know what? Over the year, maybe they feel, well, that's about the same that I'd pay for an off-the-shelf product to do security. So they don't feel that they've been ripped off. And proving that it's fraud after the fact is really tricky. Because the bad guys can just say, yeah, we found a file. Maybe it was a false positive, but we cleaned it up. What's the user's possible complaint? And of course, the complaint is that the whole thing's a pack of lies. Speaking of law enforcement issues, uh, there was press this week that New Scotland Yard arrested Ryan Cleary, purportedly a member or a participant in the lulls security that's been making a lot of very pro high-profile attacks against governments. And but you know, Ryan Cleary, uh, Cleary is supposedly involved and ran a uh, IRC server that was in some way associated with it. The press stories are saying that the police actually caught him in the act of actively conducting a botnet to attack the SOCA organization or serious organized crime agency in the United Kingdom. Do these guys typically cave and like rat out their buddies in order to avoid jail time? I mean, the, the stories are saying this kid was quite troubled in the past. He's had a lot of issues. My word is troubled now, poor fellow. You almost want to feel sorry for him, but if it's true that he's bombarding websites with a DDoS, 
then, you know, some of that sorrow has to evaporate, I'm afraid. As to, you know, do crooks rat each other out, I guess that depends on how much they know, doesn't it? If the people you're working with are just online identities that you know as george255 at gmail.com, then there's not much you can pass on, is there? I am actually personally now more concerned about all those quarter of a million followers that Lulzsec has got, many of whom seem to delight in joining in from the fringes. And as far as I'm concerned, once you start doing that, you can't say you're an innocent bystander anymore. Well, that, that uh, brings up a really great article that was on Naked Security last week. Um, when I recorded the chat chat, it was about two hours before we unfortunately had the riot situation here in Vancouver after the Stanley Cup hockey game. And Rich Baldry posted to Naked Security this week an excellent article kind of comparing the crowd that's following Lulzsec with the crowd that occurred here in Vancouver. And uh, unfortunately, I witnessed most of what went on here in the city. And I can say that the crowd here who were simply excited about being onlookers and wanting to see the others who were participating in the malfeasance created the biggest problem because the police in this case were not able to control that gawker crowd and were isolated from being able to control the actual troublemakers. And to a degree, we're creating the same problem with Lulzsec. And I thought Rich summed it up really well in his blog. There's a picture in that article, which I believe you took from your apartment high above what was going on, which clearly shows two cop cars crashed into each other, blazing on fire, three guys egging on a crowd. And the incredible thing is you can see Canucks fans and Bruins fans side by side with their mobile phones in the air, delighting in filming it, and not filming it because they think they might turn the guys into law enforcement. It's pretty obvious that they're filming it because it's, it's a free fourth period that we didn't have to pay for. And really, that's pretty poor. Being that that's not a topic I'm very excited about, but uh, unfortunately uh, was a first-person witness to moving along to another topic, uh, the next story I want to talk about was the WordPress.com attack, which uh, had some Trojanized plugins that were unfortunately very high-profile plugins, one of which uh, many WordPress users use to enable their blog to work better on iPads and other touch devices. Another one was uh, known as Add This, which allows you to very simply and uh, you know add your RSS feed into your iGoogle or Yahoo news page or whatever particular aggregator you may choose to use. I, I couldn't find a lot of details about what went on, but it sounds like maybe the passwords of the accounts able to post using these very um, high-profile plugins were compromised. Do you have any information? I mean, like, what could WordPress do to stop this kind of thing from happening in the future? Well, if you have a public or semi-public software repository, which lots of people are contributing to, then you do have that problem that the chain is only as strong as the weakest link, don't you? The good news is that WordPress actually noticed really, really quickly and they reversed out all those changes. And so it meant that you were only affected if you used one of the three named plugins, the WP Touch, the other one you mentioned, and the third I forget. It's all on Naked Security. You were also only affected if you had updated your source code during the window of danger, which was a... a, a right, but the, da the danger window was a two-week period. And in that two-week period, I mean, this, this, what concerned me the most is I have a lot of friends who use... No, it was a 24-hour period, I believe. According to WordPress, the damage was only up there for 24 hours because they said in the past day in their release. But it does show the danger of trusting source code repositories because a lot of people believe that source code that you build or install yourself is somehow more secure than proprietary or binary bundles. And of course, that's not necessarily true. Source code can carry malware and malicious stuff just as much as 
compiled executables, as we know very well from JavaScript-based exploits in browsers. Well, the question I have, Paul, is that, you know, I have a lot of friends who use WordPress.org to host their blogs, or, you know, run their own blogs on their own Linux boxes and this kind of thing. Uh, and my advice in the past was always, if you get that little, bol uh, you know, a balloon when you log in that says updates are available, make sure you click it and apply those right away. Now we've kind of reached this conundrum, which is, gee, you know, how can I know that I can trust these updates when I'm not a programmer? I don't understand JSON and AJAX and all these different things. Like, uh, am I, you know, how do I know what to trust? I suppose one way is if there was some feedback from the WordPress.com VIP, where there is considerable scrutiny over plugins before they're accepted and updated for that platform, which fortunately, of course, is what Naked Security uses. Uh, I think you need to have maybe some, some advice feeding back from there on giving you a risk of danger according to the change. With security patches, you're sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Change control says, let's be conservative and spend plenty of time testing, but sometimes security exigencies say, wow, you've got to apply this immediately. Yeah, it's a tough call. And, you know, in this case, uh, I guess maybe visiting the sites of the plugins themselves to see the version numbers or release dates might have been helpful because it's unlikely the web page for the add this plugin would have said there was a new version available whereas it was saying it was available on WordPress but that's getting rather complicated for the average blog admin hopefully WordPress will come up with some ideas on ways they can better secure accounts perhaps if you know to post software to their repositories they implement things like the SMS two factor or something else i mean there's by no means is that foolproof and of course currently on WordPress it's only available in the United States but you know, maybe they can come up with some ideas to uh, provide a little extra security if you're able to post content, and not just join the forums and, and publish a message. Uh, last story is about trust, I guess, to some degree. I mean, there's been a lot of analysis of Bitcoin and its cryptographic security or not, but apparently they've discovered a time machine. I guess transactions that occur can just be undone. Uh, you wrote a story about that this week. What's your take? A lot of Bitcoin fans jump to the defense of Bitcoin, the academic or intellectual theory, saying, oh, no, you're blaming the currency. It was just one of the exchanges. I'm not an economist, but I don't really see how the utter collapse of one of the major exchanges trading in this Bitcoin stuff can give you much confidence in trading overall on the concept, which is a pity because I'm, I'm a fan of anonymous digital cash. I, I do resent the fact that if you're using conventional credit cards and that, that absolutely everything you purchase is available to the institution you purchase through to sell to unscrupulous marketeers by mistake, get stolen, put on a record that has incorrect information about you for the future and all sorts of things. So the idea of having a way of cash like you would use with banknotes that you can use between countries without worrying about exchange rates and posting banknotes in snail mail, which you're not supposed to do for safety reasons. I think it's a nice idea. I just think that, as many commentators on my story pointed out, you know, it's early days and maybe this is just one of those teething problems. And if you thought that Bitcoin and its current implementations and exchanges was a way to immediate wealth, then perhaps you're looking in the wrong sort of market and perhaps you should just join in if you want to uh, risk comparatively small amounts of money on making anonymous digital cash work by trying and failing, perhaps. Well, yeah, I was thinking it seemed like a, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say step one, but maybe step three in a 10-part process of figuring this stuff out. And we look at things like digital movie and, and music theft, but P2P networking started with things like Napster, and then it evolved a little further, and it became, you know, Nutella and LimeWare and all these different things. And 
and eventually we got to things all the way to being BitTorrent. You know, we we got to this point where it matured enough that it became very usable, very reliable, a lot more intelligent, started figuring out ways of trying to weed out some of the scammers and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Bitcoin may be version 1.0 or 2.0 of, of, of a Chrome-like version ascendance to 14 when it becomes mature. So on that thought, I'm going to wrap up this week's chat. Chat, I appreciate you joining me again from Australia on a um, a winter Friday afternoon before I'm sure you'll be heading off for a, a, a few root it's beers. It's gorgeous, cloudless, bright sunshine, but we will pay for it this evening because then temperatures will drop lower than usual. So that concludes Software Security Chat Chat 65 for June the 23rd, 2011. As always, you can get all of our podcasts at podcasts.sophos.com. They're also available via RSS or iTunes and now on Stitcher.com for your mobile devices as well. And, uh, you know, if you want the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Until next time, stay secure.